0: What's up everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show we've got Lindsay Kenuvan from Codopotsy
1: we're seeing a lot of growth um, in markets where we had no footprint. You know, we're a we're an e-commerce business and when we when we look at a place like Portland or San Francisco, we um, it's this great touch point for us. We'll see over fifteen hundred people come out for the day and just have this really incredible, you know, experience and adventure together. So we're we're seeing those numbers grow quite a bit now that there's more awareness and traction and you know, um, friends are telling friends and growing their teams.
0: This is another episode of our innovation and leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is icollective.co slash free again icollective.co slash free also before getting rolling we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founder started called Child Rescue we work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad one of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru to learn more about that please come to the Child Rescue section on our website icollective.co slash childrescue so with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Today on the show, we've got Lindsay Canoven from Cotopoxy. Lindsay, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, so um, kind of excited to talk about this subject, hybrid businesses, uh, the difference between people who talk about making the world better and the people who are actually making the world better. Um, but to kick it all off, let's talk about Cotopoxy. What's Cotopoxy?
1: Cotopoxy is an outdoor gear company with a social mission based in Salt Lake. And uh, a young organization, we're about two years old, but looking to be the next billion dollar outdoor gear company that impacts over a million lives.
0: Okay. So it doesn't sound like the, the most common career move to leave the largest community <laughs> foundation, $7 billion uh, Silicon Valley Community Foundation, to come to, to a startup in a state you've never been, but you've only visited for four hours. Tell us about what was, what was a big enough magnet about these guys that you made that move.
1: You know, Silicon Valley Community F- Foundation is doing some incredible incredible work. Uh like like you said it's the biggest community foundation in the world. It is a one-stop shop for philanthropy and really a thought leader in strategic giving. I I wasn't looking to leave. Cotopaxi came out of the blue, Utah came out of the blue and I it was this blank slate. It was an opportunity to help shape and grow a business that had social impact integrated from the very beginning in a way that really represented best practices in the development space. So for me it was a big change, you know, going from managing multi-million dollar international giving programs with tens of thousands of employees and all of the resources that come with that, you know, the volunteer power, the technology, uh and the and just the giving power but for me it's there's this there's this opportunity we have at CodePoxy to mobilize the community and i think help shape the future of of social enterprise so that was just really exciting and something i couldn't pass up
0: cool um Master so Weber? uh i think about um These guys are legitimately cool also. I think Mm -hmm. that probably didn't hurt. But um (laughs) I've been following them last year and a half with this big kickoff here. and they've they've definitely got buzz in this area. Um but uh why don't you talk just for a minute about this crazy thing called a Questival?
1: Sure. The Questival is our 24-hour adventure race. It is it's hard to explain in words. I think if you're there for just a second, you catch the energy, but it's it's a festival think amazing race on steroids in a condensed time frame. You, um, we challenge teams to, to go through a number of challenges, uh, they are adventure challenges, do good challenges and fun, kind of crazy challenges. It's a way for participants to really get to know their state better. Um, and they compete to win some pretty cool prizes. So we have, um, we have people who really take it in a lot of different directions. But to me, the most exciting part is to see this momentum. You know, it all starts with a pre-race challenge or festival. We have everyone gather together and it's kind of this like really exciting um, moment for people to launch off on this, the adventure of their choice. But it's the, the do good challenges are pretty exciting. You can accomplish a lot with that much raw, uh, energy. And we've had, you know, like what's an example
0: of, of a do good challenge.
1: We've had people bring food donations for project open hand in San Francisco and bring almost 2000 pounds in four hours. So that's a great accomplishment that can really accelerate the work of a nonprofit in a, in a very low touch way for them. We've had, tons of trees planted. We've had park cleanups that have collected thousands of pounds of trash, you know, a lot of things like that. And then also random acts of kindness, give uh, someone a flower, help an old person to their car, (laughs) you know, little things that I think just bring joy and kind of community.
0: No, it's a genius thing. I mean, like it might sound like a nice little event, but like Some of the things like having the app integrate with the social check-ins. I mean, Mm -hmm. getting that first one where it's like, like, it's trending on Twitter, winning awards from Mashable. Like this is, it's not just a little event. Like it's a big deal.
1: It is. And it's, I think it's this great entree into our brand. You know, it's so experiential. It's really a choose your own adventure and a way for us to tap into the community's creativity. So it's, to me, it's a, really awesome event that we can just continue to grow and, you know, evolve over time. We're starting to to have the second Questival in certain locations, which has been really interesting to see how much momentum the first one created and, you know, how much growth we're seeing in, say, Salt Lake, where registrations now are already surpassing what they were last year. So I think it will be really interesting to see how the event evolves over time.
0: Yeah. So in addition to obviously doing some good in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has been, a, from a financial standpoint, a massive introduction to a community and, and a kickoff. Um, and how many of you guys done now, do you think? Approximately, how many different locations?
1: Let's see. I think last year we did about 10, and I think this year we have about 15 planned in different states.
0: That's a, that's a good clip.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, our team is quite busy. Our team of two <laughs> who manages that.
0: And how many participants will you guys get in an event like this?
1: So Salt Lake, we're expecting to have probably over three thousand, which will be very exciting. You know, it's our home turf, and we get a little bit more momentum there. But we we're seeing a lot of growth um, in markets where we had no footprint. You know, we're a, we're an e-commerce business, and when we when we look at a place like Portland or San Francisco. We um it's this great touch point for us. We'll see over fifteen hundred people come out for the day and just have this really incredible, you know, experience and adventure together. So we're we're seeing those numbers grow quite a bit now that there's more awareness and traction and, you know, um friends are telling friends and growing their teams. But yeah, so we just kicked off, I think. We had, um, over 600 participants in Las Vegas last weekend and we're moving on to Dallas and then Salt Lake and, you know, so people should definitely get on board. And sign yeah, up.
0: yeah. Besides coming to Codopoxy and signing up when it comes to their city. Uh, <laughs> but you think about how many startups today, especially an e-commerce, e-commerce startup, um, you know, maybe they've got good photos for the website. Things look cool. You know, it's a legitimately good product. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like there's definitely something to learn here about giving people the chance to have a person-to-person connection with the brand.
1: Right. It's a great, it's a party, you know, it's a great experience. Thousands of people in that first year. Exactly. Right. right. It's a great way to generate brand awareness, uh, these touch points with our customers or just community, but also I think connect people around this fusion of adventure and social impact in a way that's really meaningful. You know, they're doing it, they're out there living it, and they're seeing how much fun it is. And so the the adventure challenges, you know, we've heard so many stories of people who had never started a fire or had never gone rock climbing, and these are things that they've done as a result of their Questable experience. Um, or, you know, the the social impact challenges, really thinking about how to integrate giving into your everyday how to do that with your friends in a way that doesn't require a lot of planning. It's just something that you can do organically. It doesn't have to be some big event. It can be a random act of kindness. It can be a simple but effective um, investment in your community. So I think those little lessons, those little gems that people come away with as a result of this experience are very powerful.
0: Well, and today we're obviously going to be talking about using business to make the world better and using making the world better to, to help profitability. Mm -hmm. Um, for people who don't know, um, can you explain the, Hey, when you buy this backpack, it helps this program. When you buy this water bottle, it helps this program, how that works.
1: Sure. So our model, we have, um, we have an integrated giving model. We give 2% of revenue to, um, organizations around the world And we augment our giving with really high impact volunteer engagement opportunities. So we have a pretty robust skills-based volunteer component um, that we engage not only our team in, but local community partners in. And uh, we have a few strategic product donation programs, but the majority of our focus rests on the strategic giving.
0: So, and let's talk about like the idea from back when you were with the Salesforce Foundation, Mm -hmm. you know huge corporate leaders, um, no, known for being leaders in philanthropy. Can you talk about the one, one, one model and, and how now later at organizations later you're, you're doing something similar?
1: Sure. Yeah. So Salesforce foundation has been a pioneer in the hybrid business movement. You know, Mark Benioff and the team, the, the foundation team led by Suzanne DiBianca have really pushed the envelope on how corporate giving works. It's something you know that they have demonstrated through the one 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 model, which is, which represents one percent of equity, time, and product donated back to the community. It's um, a commitment that the Salesforce Foundation made early on, and has really been replicated not only by a, a lot of companies within their kind of community in the Bay Area, but now globally. It's something that has served as a model for young social entrepreneurs, uh, as a best practice in corporate giving. So I think that commitment, uh, really taking, um, a big view of your resources and seeing those resources, not just as the grants that you can give, but your people and the talents and the technology or the product and service that you have to offer, how all of those things can be used together as a system of change that is a powerful concept. Um and that's something that I've really taken throughout my work. You know, I when I was on the nonprofit side, it's something that I worked with our donors to integrate and really look at how can we leverage volunteers in a more meaningful way? How can we how can we engage their their skill sets to help us build our capacity as an organization? And then back on the you know, the foundation side, it's something that we were always working on too. It doesn't matter what those percentages are necessarily, but when you look at, you know, a full comprehensive giving program, how do you integrate those different components in a way that really works for the brand helps them advance their work is essentially sometimes product testing for their technology. How do they kind of iterate on their their product or service as they learn and get feedback from the nonprofit community? You know, all these things, they're mutually beneficial and it's something that um, makes for a much deeper relationship between the donor and the recipient.
0: Well, and so, let, you know, let's talk about that for just a minute. So, you know, you're back at Salesforce Foundation when it's not the 150 people it is today. You're, you're, you're there when there's six people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of people know about the program, uh, Child Rescue is a benefit. You know, not mm-hmm. only do we get the, the product, but we've got a um, former pro athlete who's a Salesforce employee in Toronto That's rallying Salesforce staff in Toronto to be volunteers for child rescue. So we're directly a beneficiary. Mm -hmm, So thank you. mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) And then you get the matching gifts and the dollars for doers. There are all sorts of employee led programs that augment the strategic giving that the foundation manages. So I think that is a great example. You know, you're receiving the product donation, you're receiving the time, the volunteerism, but you also now have access to smaller monetary grants because of that connection with the employees.
0: Um, well, we're excited about it, but, uh, for, for people today who might own a business and be saying, Hey, you know, I've kind of wanted to do something more for, you know, to, to make the world better. I've been pretty busy with work mm-hmm. and I don't exactly know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, as the Salesforce foundation grew and you guys were, were ramping up and doing these things, what's an example of, you know, a struggle you guys came up against and how did you beat it? Mm,
1: there are so many, we, we grew so quickly and. We're constantly iterating. I think it's a you know always an ongoing learning opportunity. We on the giving side, um, our focus shifted a few times, and really in the early days we were focused on technology as a tool to advance the work of our nonprofit partners and how were nonprofits integrating technology and leveraging Salesforce type tools to really capture and um and quantify their impact. So that was, you know, early days and I think as it grew and as our community of nonprofits grew and became stronger, creating forums where they could talk about how to how to use these technology tools for good in their organizations when maybe they didn't have an internal IT team. Um that started to to change the scope of our work because a lot of the the stuff we were doing Um, through our giving was already happening organically within this community and we were able to kind of go next level. So I think there were a lot of iterations that just shifted as our technology evolved, as we got more and more feedback from the nonprofit community about how we could enhance the product for their use. So rather than just being a tool to capture um, their programmatic work, how could it also be a tool to capture their donor management needs or their volunteer tracking? How could they How could they track their impact more effectively and generate reports so they could quantify that impact for donors?
0: Well, and this is what I want to talk about um, is kind of your quest. I mean, obviously, you were doing it at Salesforce. Later, when you were at Silicon Valley Community Foundation, you talked about advising, especially the corporate clients, on maybe more than just the obvious giving and Mm -hmm. really maximizing. And and when you described it before, it sounded like you guys were really hunting for What are the other things that we inherently have that Mm -hmm. can be a benefit and Mm -hmm. kind of took some innovative thinking to to dig?
1: Yeah. So with Salesforce Foundation, for example, one of the things I I'm most proud of there is um, we started a council model. So we saw this need that our nonprofit partners had to increase their capacity, you know, and we saw this talent within our employee base. So how could we create. Advisory councils that essentially served as these mini boards for our grantees. And we created a council structure that was based on the 111 model. So we had a council for each 1% bucket. And I managed um, the equity bucket or 1% equity bucket and brought together leaders from various departments across the organization, you know, engineers, lawyers, um, developers, just the full kind of gamut of skill sets we had available there and created an advisory council. Those groups were then paired with our grantees and would have pretty frequent meetings to help them manage, um, some of their their aspirations and help them advance their work. So we had uh it was this beyond the dollar type approach where not only are we giving say a $25,000 grant or whatever the amount may be but we're also offering this structure of really high powered um, professionals who are augmenting that nonprofit's capacity and, and who can bring in their whole team to help volunteer to solve some problems. So it helped the nonprofit iterate faster on ideas that they had. It helped them, um, address gaps in their organization. And overwhelmingly we saw most of our grantees achieving their grant funded project in half the time that they had projected. So an ability to take your dollars and really, you know, get more bang for the buck essentially while engaging your employees in a way that creates these lasting relationships and facilitates a lot of skills-based volunteerism.
0: Well, you think about a book like, uh, Daniel Pink's book called drive. that's talking about, Hey, once your staff are making what they would make somewhere else, more money doesn't make them work harder, Mm -hmm. but you know, autonomy meaning, and, and, uh, the chance for mastery do. And so many companies, you know, they can Okay, if you do this, we'll give you more. You know, we'll give you more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you want to take that course? We'll pay for this. But a lot of companies struggle on the like, how do I provide my staff the chance for meaning at work? Because, hey, maybe we're a public company, we've got those quarterly earnings report coming up. Everybody's got to, or whatever it is, pressure it is of like the almighty dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is. Uh, anyways, it's interesting to see people actually um, providing that legitimate, tangible, like, because I worked here, the world got better.
1: Yeah. And I think it's not just a benefit to the employees. It's not just morale, you know, brand loyalty, all that kind of stuff, which there have been all sorts of research reports showing the power of the social impact piece to drive retention, to, to increase the company's ability to attract high power talent. Um, But then you also have this interesting dynamic among the millennials uh, where there's a growing skepticism about corporate giving. Um, more and more people really are pushing for accountability and transparency. They want to see, okay, you say you've got a social impact model. What exactly are you doing? What's your strategy? What kind of impact results have you seen? Um, Are you investing in interventions that have a proven impact or just interventions that maybe you had some sort of relational tie to? Um, So there's a lot more pressure there to be, um, very strategic and very effective. And I think when you have these employee volunteer initiatives or employee giving initiatives, it's a great way to provide inherent transparency to your work. You're, you're not only involving, um, your employees, but you're helping give them a voice in that social impact piece, which is really powerful. Um, and then you inevitably see that consumers are more incentivized to, um, to align themselves and their purchasing power with brands that are driving real impact. So there is, I think, quantitative stuff that shows the power of an integrated social impact model. And then there's also the qualitative. You know, we hear all sorts of stories about employees who have maybe shifted their focus or who have um, a much stronger relationship with their team or managers who have developed great professional um, leadership skills because of their community service through their company. So there are a lot of um, ancillary benefits that are harder to track, but have proven really successful for companies.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully the managers or founders listening today can, (laughs) can uh, grow the volume of hours that their staff get to do good. Um, So jumping back to Code Epoxy for a minute, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been talking about the difference of, you know, kind of the, The startup culture and, and the changing society of everybody wants to talk about doing good and, and being beneficial. And unfortunately, a lot of it just ends up staying as talk. Um, let's talk about, uh, the skills-based volunteer program you guys are doing with the refugees here and, and partnerships with Goldman Sachs and Adobe and everybody.
1: Yeah. So late last year, I joined the organization in May and we launched this program the end of the summer, uh, probably early July. In partnership with the Department of Workforce Services and the Refugee Services team here in Salt Lake, the program was designed in response to a needs assessment that we conducted with this team and really um, We had explored a lot of opportunities. You know, we said, here's kind of the matrix of what our team has to offer and the resources we have internally, and also our assessment of the social entrepreneurship space in Salt Lake, you know, this growing tech community of startups that all wanted to get involved in some sort of community initiative. So we were tapping into that landscape and then um, also our team's own interests and laying that Uh, over this sort of assessment of the community needs. And one of the largest needs that we identified was within the local refugee population, which is 60,000 strong here in Salt Lake. So you have um, a very significant and very diverse population of refugees, um, and there is a pretty big hurdle to meaningful job opportunities. So that's an area we felt we could really provide a good response. And we introduced the Refugee Coding Project with the intention of providing computer science education for refugee youth, um, facilitating that skills transfer between our employees and these youth who had been selected by their own community leaders. So we have right now, um, we've scaled the program. Initially, we piloted it with a group of Bhutanese youth um, the beginning of this year in February. For anybody who
0: doesn't know where Bhutan is, where is that? Uh, (laughs)
1: um, So, I mean, you want like GPS coordinates? (laughs) What do you (laughs) No,
0: just in general. Bhutan is next to.
1: So Bhutan. Well, I think this is actually an interesting question because there's a lot of confusion about um, Myanmar and Bhutan and, um, I don't know how much you want to get into that right now.
0: No, just generally. Hey, this is over by Vietnam.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I think the, you know, we're we're looking at a country in Southeast Asia who where there's been quite a bit of unrest. You've got a lot of refugees who have come to Salt Lake. Um, they may be from Bhutan. They may have grown up actually in Thailand in a refugee camp. Um, they may have grown up in Vietnam. So there's even within the Bhutanese community, you've got pretty significant diversity. We have a lot of kids um, from that community who may have come to the States as a very young child. So they may not have much kind of cultural, um, I guess, they, they, their sense of place, their sense of home is a little bit uprooted. Um, and so we have youth right now from Bhutan, Sudan, South Sudan, um, Burundi, and let's see, I'm missing one.. One second.
0: We can add it later. Okay. It's okay.
1: So <laughs>
0: so and how many were in the first cohort?
1: We had 15 youth in the first cohort.
0: And how long's the program?
1: Uh, it is a 20 week program in an intensive, and it is we built the program on a backbone of code.org open source curriculum. Code.org is a national nonprofit that provides, all sorts of learning resources for you think Khan Academy they actually are a partner of Khan Academy um, but they focus on computer science education and making that accessible to all particularly minorities and girls um, so we built the program on the background backbone of of code.org and then we've bolted on these more immersive experiential learning opportunities through workshops um, we
0: so after 20 weeks what what skill set does a kid have or what? So the bench. kids
1: come away having completed the 20 week accelerated computer science course that code.org offers. They get a certificate, um, and they have a pretty fundamental, uh, knowledge of computer science with, with great, um, insight into the different kinds of thinking that's required for computer science. So you look at, you know, a lot of problem solving, um, their whole model is based on experiential learning and, and sort of the gamification of code. So they come away with a, a strong fundamental understanding of computer science principles. And then it, with these workshops that we've introduced, they um, they get exposure into things like app development. We had a pretty intensive course on app development that was based on MIT's App Inventor curriculum. We also are just about to embark on the robotics component of the course. So they'll go through four in-depth robotics training programs. And that's going to be a really interesting opportunity for the kids to see, you know, this kind of tangible uh, use of technology. How do you take something from theory to action? Um, And then we also have a filmmaking and storytelling component. So kids are learning filmmaking and how to showcase their journey through STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, um, how to, how to tell that story. And that's been a really interesting addition because it, it adds this community element and gets kids from these different communities really talking. Burma was the other country. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: and so, and you said Goldman Sachs and Adobe are also participating.
1: Yeah. So we, um, when we scaled the program, in February, we extended the program to 40 youth from six communities. The uh, you know, that scaling really meant that we needed to bring in other community partners to provide enough volunteers to support the growth of the program. So we partnered with Adobe, um, Goldman Sachs, and V School, which is a local dev and coding school. To really extend the scope of our work. And every month, um, one of the companies takes full ownership of the content. So we have skilled professional volunteers, um, delivering the content both on the code.org side and then on the workshop side. And throughout the course, we have, um, the film club from Westminster, which is a local private school, um, university that is providing, um, kind of the storytelling component and they're doing a film that captures the full experience.
0: That's great. And I I love how you guys have tied it. I mean, in a country where we still have a lot of unemployment problems, I was recently at a event at plural site where the people from the governor's office were talking about how many companies are just dying for qualified uh, computer Mm -hmm. staff staff today here.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. So one of the main reasons, you know, as we were looking at this, assessment of needs within the community, our resources, and kind of the ecosystem here in Utah. You know, right now there's a very significant gap between the demand for um, talent in this space and those that are graduating. So we have a huge opportunity. I think at the, the last time I looked the um, number of open jobs in the computer science space was about 1900 in Utah alone. Um, and so that's a that's a great pipeline for these youth. You asked about what happens when they graduate from the program. And we've been working with our community partners to provide mentorships, internships and um, some scholarships for youth coming through the program, which is a really exciting opportunity. There will also be other continued learning Opportunities for those that are younger and maybe not ready to move into a career. But, um, I think it's a, it's a great way to bridge the gap between these youth who are often quite marginalized and may not have access to really robust social services anymore because they've been in the country for at least two years. Um, and then those companies that are looking for talent and also have a focus on community engagement.
0: That's a great match. Um, well, I feel like we could talk about this stuff all day. We might, we might have to try and talk you into coming to uh, teach a class for Ideation <laughs> Collective. But um, one of the things we we like to ask all the guests is you thinking about subjects like innovation and leadership uh, or just books that have had a good effect on your life. Are there any book recommendations you have of like, mm. here's a book I think everybody should have a look at? Yeah. Anything come to mind?
1: There are some interesting um, development books that I think are really powerful, really no matter... No matter what you take from the actual book just to get you thinking about international development, um, there's a book called Africa Rising that is certainly worth a read um, by. uh, We'll put a link. We'll put a link to Amazon. (laughs) Yeah, I'll send the link. Um, But, you know, I think. There, Mark Benioff's book is actually interesting. There's, uh, John Wood, who started Room to Read and has, which is a really interesting education nonprofit working globally. Um, he wrote a book several years ago called Leaving Microsoft to Change the World, which is a really interesting read for individuals looking to embark on this social impact piece and integrate that into their business. I think it shows, to the journey of somebody who has that spark and then wants to make sure that their, um, nonprofit programming or whatever kind of involvement they have in the development space is as informed as their work was on the for-profit side. So that's an interesting kind of example of this fusion of passion and, and actual action.
0: Okay, we'll put we'll put Amazon links to all those on I'll the, send you some other yeah, ideas we'll put, afterwards we'll put some links too. on the show notes for anybody <laughs> who are interested in those. Um, another thing we we always ask guests um what advice they would have for us at child rescue as we're trying to get the word out, get more people involved in in helping kids get away from exploitation and child sex trafficking, which, you, white paper, you helped co-author a <laughs> yeah, white paper back at yeah. Silicon Valley Foundation.
1: So I was the lead on Silicon Valley Community Foundation, co-funded a report on human trafficking in the Bay Area with um, Juniper Networks, which has a strong focus on anti-human trafficking in their grant making. So I was the uh, responsible for, you know, really gathering that research and, and writing that report in um collaboration with a number of partners both that were nonprofit and for-profit entities state agencies you know really the full cross-sector analysis of what the human trafficking situation is in the bay area so that report is available um on the community foundation's oh, can website can we get a link to that mm-hmm. Okay yep. great It's published on that site and it it really was an interesting tool to spark conversation Within the Bay Area, I think one of the biggest things for you guys, I think that's hard to understand for people is this problem is a massive, massive global industry. So overcoming that that gap in understanding um, to help people realize the severity of this problem is a challenge and, and focusing on some creative ways to help quantify that for people might be of value. I mean, I know for, for us, when we spoke with donors, one of the biggest things that they always had these aha moments around where when you talk about trafficking, you know, you're talking about sex trafficking, labor trafficking, there are so many different types of trafficking and labor trafficking is incredibly hard to quantify. It's happening all over the place. It's happening right in our backyards. You know, when we look in Silicon Valley, there are the estimates around human trafficking are significant, um, but it's really hard to capture actuals because you've got these individuals who are being absorbed into other social services. You know, maybe they have had a touch point with a domestic violence shelter, but, but maybe they didn't have Identified. a nonprofit yeah they weren't identified as a labor trafficking victim specifically so they're not being captured in the response
0: helping helping quantify helping mm-hmm. potential people understand more tangibly something they can sink their teeth into
1: yeah and I think working with you know there there can be a lot of um privacy around this issue that makes it really hard for cross-sector partners to share their information and get a better grasp on what the scope of the problem is. So, you know, I think having these forums where the police and the nonprofits and the social service providers and everybody is kind of having a convening to talk about who, how are we addressing the situation? Are we duplicating efforts? You know, how can we augment your work? That collaboration's really, really important.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, we're lucky to be a, a part of the attorney general's task force mm-hmm. here. Um, but uh, OVC has actually just come out with some new granting to help uh, facilitate those those task forces across mm-hmm. the country, which is really exciting to see.
1: Yeah, and it's such a complex problem. You've got it happening at the hyper local level, at the global level, and you can't it won't be eradicated unless it's a collective effort. You know, you can't have something happening only in Salt Lake County um, when you've got people coming from a different region altogether. You know, it has to really be collective. So I think those task forces are important, and then having a more collective global dialogue around the issue so that it's a more, um, I don't know, a a more... strong and united response.
0: Well, and everybody doesn't know about the, the referrals you gave us before we got started here oh. for uh, <laughs> the help down with the after core orphanage are we're, we're helping build in Peru. So thanks for those.
1: Sure. We'll keep that going. Uh,
0: um, well, as we wrap up here, um, I think w- one, you know, there's a lot of other stories I wanted to cover. Um, but one that I think would be fun is, um, I'm kind of obsessed with these Peter Diamante's books, uh, abundance and bold. And Mm -hmm. so when I found out that you used to advise singularity university and those guys, tell us, well, for a, tell people what singularity university is, and then tell us what it was like to go to meetings with them.
1: Yeah. So singularity university was one of my clients at Silicon Valley community foundation. I worked closely with their nonprofit oriented side of the house to advise on how, um, they could increase the efficacy of their uh, philanthropy. And we did a lot of interesting work around compliance and, you know, how, how they as an organization could do some really creative things on the giving side, but to back up uh, singularity university is. <laughs>
0: well, let's talk about the founders for just a second. Sure. Ray Kurzweil kind of and Peter Diamandis right.
1: are, our leaders. <laughs> they're, they're thought leaders, they're, they're artificial the intelligence experts. They are technologists. Um, you know they they have projected some of the most amazing um, innovations in technology. They have anticipated them. You know from twenty years ago. They've um, they have
0: well, and things that people might know. You, th- you know, the self driving car, things car. like that and and things like a lot of people know about Virgin Galactic mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. this offering for space tourism not everybody realizes that that is a byproduct of them getting 10 million dollars raised for the X prize right, right right
1: so singularity is this hub for innovation and their mission is to use exponential technology to solve the world's global grand challenges Pretty ambitious and <laughs> they have a for-profit and they also have a benefit corporation. Um, I worked with their benefit corporation side of the house and that was an entity focused on how can they incubate nonprofits? How, if people have ideas to, to save the world, you know, to solve water. Global water problems. How could they do that um, in the nonprofit sector and incubate those ideas and then really kind of launch them in a way that would be successful? So that's where my focus was rested. Um, but they're an organization that is just, they think so big. And going to a meeting at their space, you know, they're located at NASA's Moffett Field. Um, they have Robots everywhere. You literally walk into a room and there will be on the on the table. There will be some crazy VR experience going on virtual reality. And then right next to that, there will be a robot doing yoga and almost falling off a desk. You know, they have a lab internally. There are drones. They're testing ideas. They're trying to figure out how do we use this technology, artificial intelligence, how do we use virtual reality to solve some really persistent problems in the world? So while I was there, they're looking at how do we use um, virtual reality as a tool to help with uh, PTSD? How do we use drones as a, a way to solve global hunger? How do we, you know, just thinking so big and so bold, Um, And they do a lot of education. They have a graduate studies program. They have um, advisors who work with the businesses that are incubated on their campus and with the nonprofits there. It's just a hub for massive ideas and moonshot solutions. Exciting. Yeah, it's a cool place. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, we appreciate... Uh, your time today, besides coming to com and, you know, registering for Questable or things like that, yeah. or, and we'll put videos of that on your page on ideation collective. If people want to see what that's like.
1: Sure. That'd A- be great.
0: Any, any, uh, parting advice or, or calls to action you want to send out there?
1: You know, I think doing good is, Is so powerful, and to think about how you, as an individual or a company or a nonprofit or whatever, can accelerate that work and be so smart in doing good—you know—to really accelerate change. I think it's—it's just um, the world at this interesting point. There's so much collaboration going on. Technology has facilitated this. Global conversation. and there's an opportunity for us to really collaborate in some interesting ways, which, you know, in the past the nonprofit space has been a little bit more segmented um, and and so has the corporate space. So for me, it's very promising. And I would just say, as you think about social impact, think about partnerships, think about, Um, best practices, learn everything you can learn about the space, learn about what's been tried, what's failed, why it's failed, you know, iterate fast, fail fast and, um, and track your impact and see if it's working. If it's not working pivot, you know, I, I think that's important. It doesn't matter if you're on the nonprofit side or the corporate side, if you're focused on doing good, I really encourage people to, to do good. Right. You know, and and keep iterating. It's an
0: important message to have the guts to be honest when the metrics don't come in the way you wanted Mm -hmm. and to go, I told everybody this was going to work, but real life says it didn't work. Do I be transparent and decide to do some change or do we cover up that it's not
1: achieving what we said it was going to achieve? Absolutely. I think transparency all the way, you know, companies pivot all the time. You're learning all the time that maybe, this technology could evolve and the same thing should be happening on the nonprofit space. You know, the stakes are higher. You're talking about people's lives. And so for me, that's an important, um, just shift in our perspective that it would be great for our community to make, you know, just, just be more nimble as you tackle these massive global problems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks again for making time today. Thank you. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash childrescue.